All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Behind the Visual with Mark Hansen, which is me. And this is the podcast where I interview all those people responsible for putting together and creating the images and videos you see out in your world every single day. And today, my guest is Pebble Go. She is the VP Creative Director at BBDO in New York City. Um, we talk a little bit about all kinds of stuff. We talk about why she's getting her MBA right now and how that all got started, how she went from living and growing up in Malaysia to working in New York City at one of the biggest agencies in the world. She talks about winning the uh, Young Creative Award for, in Malaysia during her first year at BBDO and how that whole thing has come about. We talk a little bit about um, shooting a Dove ice cream commercial in South Africa shooting for Snickers, shooting um, a global, excuse me, global brand launch, relaunch for uh, Johnson's Baby and how, what that shoot was like with a ton, a ton, a ton of babies um, to shoot. And just her favorite place to vacation. This woman has been all over the world, the multiple languages she speaks. So it's a really interesting, uh, great podcast. I look forward to hearing what you guys think about it. So take a listen. Is it really? Yeah, I, I've done like different like conferences before, like for, for I just did one for um, uh, Lithuania. So it was like recording with like, you know, visuals. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But this, it's yeah. First podcast. Cool. Yeah. Well, all right. Hey, first of all, tell me about this whole, you said you had COVID back in what, August, September or something? September. How was that? Uh, I didn't get it too bad. Uh, fortunately, my father-in-law passed away oh. from it yeah yeah um so my husband and i we traveled to see my father-in-law in duluth minnesota for his 80th birthday he re he really wanted to see his just immediate family right and we were outside most of the time the whole time we were outside just us like a little pot but we they, they did stay in a resort and there were people you know having weddings and stuff right. there uh we we wore masks wherever we went except of course we were eating between immediate family, uh, his mom got tested first. He was still on the way back to New York when his mom got tested positive. Because over in Minnesota, it's like a twenty-four hour turnaround. Oh, that's good. At least. Yeah, Where? yeah, yeah. In New York, it was like a, one week or two weeks. Really? <laughs> yeah, because at that time the numbers were down in New York already. Yeah. So every you know all the resources had to go to places where they really needed testing straight away. Wow. Yeah. So you didn't have, you didn't really have any symptoms? I lost my sense of smell. Well, that's gotta be weird. It's so weird. You, you think like your taste buds usually do the tasting, but it's not true. It's your smell. Like right. without your smell, nothing tastes good. Oh. You can taste salty and spicy, but that's it. Like Really? Yeah. So weird. How long did it last? Uh, a week, a couple of weeks. Yeah. 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 yeah, so I just took like over the counter medicine like um, NyQuil and DayQuil and Zinc, you know. It's right. just like having a really bad flu. Right. Yeah, well, and there's nothing they can do because you don't, you, you know, you don't need to be intubated. They were like, oh, if you can't breathe, then call, go to the hospital. Right. But it's like, how, like, when is the point where you really like realize, oh, I actually cannot breathe. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> Sometimes you're just like... <sighs> 
like, oh, okay, yeah, but it was it was fine. Yeah, yeah. so if you have just the anxiety, where you like, where you feel like you have anxiety, you're probably okay. If you get to the point where you're really struggling, then maybe. yeah, yeah. And I was like texting my doctor friends, like, how you know, should I call them now? <laughs> she was like, no. It's good having doctor friends, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I like called, that. Yeah. I've got a couple. You just call them and go, "Hey, this is what's happening with me," and they go, oh, "You're fine," or "Okay, come in and see me, and I'll I'll squeeze you in or whatever." So yeah, yeah. I like having doctor friends. Yeah. Where are you? Are you in? I'm in Charlotte. Time? I'm in North Carolina right now. Oh. Okay, yeah. Cool. So I kind of work in New York and LA and Miami as a local, but I live in North Carolina because I have two daughters, and we had thought about moving up to New York right after the first one was born. I was like, nah, it's not worth yeah. the, you know, the amount of money it no. would take and have to live in the city or even over in New Jersey or someplace it would just be crazy. Yeah, yeah. So we stayed down here. You, are you in Manhattan? Yeah. Yes. But, um, we have a house out in the North Fork. So that was, okay. that was where I was for the, for a while. Yeah. We we're going to go back like in December. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 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 I, I do miss the city though. Um, they say the city is dead, right? There was a couple of articles talking about that, but the city is not dead. I've heard that. I mean, I've been hearing that the city is dead or dying for years now. You know, it's kind of like I've, I've been hearing that South Beach, Miami is dead, that nobody's shooting in South Beach anymore. I've been hearing that for 15 years, I think, or more. You know, nobody's shooting in South Beach. South Beach is dead. But then everybody, every time I talk to somebody during the season, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be down in South Beach shooting. I'm like, okay. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> Well, tell me a little bit about you. I know that you have been everywhere, it seems like, for BBDO. Um, you speak, how many different languages do you speak? I speak uh, English, Bahasa Malaysia, which is the Malaysian national language, Mandarin and Cantonese, and like two more dialects, like, a, like Chinese dialects. Right. Yeah. Wow. But it's, most Malaysians, they speak those languages. It's not, you know, it's just uh, it's lo locally, yeah, everyone needs to speak at least three languages. Well, it's just such a melting pot, yeah. Yeah, wow. Well, that's impressive to me, though. I mean, I'm doing English and a, l a little bit of French and a little bit of Spanish, and that's about it. <laughs> I was on set with one of my assistants, and he's, his family's from Mexico, and he's Mexican. And he was talking to one of our, the hair and makeup guy, and they were speaking Spanish. And I was only picking up like a word or two. And so I saw someone was like, what are you guys talking about? And he goes, don't you worry about it, man. Unless you hear the word gringo, you're fine. Don't you worry. We're not talking about you. I'm like, all right, that's fine. So tell me, when you were growing up, like, did you, how was it growing up? Did you want to be something creative? Did you want to be something else? How did you end up getting into advertising? Um, I was very lucky to have Asian parents that wasn't, you know, conventional in like, you got to be a doctor. Well, they probably knew from my grades I couldn't be a doctor. <laughs> 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 or like an engineer do like uh, you never know my dad engineer. kept pushing me to be a lawyer and he's I, maybe he just didn't see my grades i don't know right <laughs> um yeah math wasn't my strong suit uh and what my parents are creative people my mom is an interior designer and my dad's like a general contractor but they study architecture okay so yeah and my dad like did some graphic design too when he was right out of school so I was very lucky to have asian parents that was like oh you know yeah go go be do some art stuff that's good <laughs> yeah um yeah so and at the time like design was was i did graphic design as my major yeah 
um, there were a lot of uh, advertising agencies in Malaysia and, you know, they were doing good work already. So it wasn't a hard decision to make. That's good. That's, uh, you went to university in Australia and Germany. Is that right? No, um, I did. It's, they have a, it's called a twinning program where okay. you do like two years in Malaysia and then you're last in Australia. Okay. And I'm still doing my MBA right now. I saw that. I was going to ask you, I was like, why yeah. an MBA? <laughs> but, I mean, it's impressive as hell that you're doing that. It's hard as hell. <laughs> like yeah. going back to academic studies is after, you know, like what, 16 years of not knowing how to write a bibliography. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty rough. Full-time gig, full-time job, plus getting your MBA. I mean, that's I was impressed. My wife was bored last year or year before last, I think it was last year. And she started talking about going back to get an MBA. And I was just like- Did she? No, thank God. <laughs> work, I think she was just getting bored at work and then luckily things started happening at work. So she didn't, I guess she doesn't feel like she needs to anymore, but I was like, that's a, you know, I don't, I don't know what she was going to do with it. You know, once she got, she just wanted just to go back to school, I think. Mm -hmm. So what do you plan on doing with your MBA or do you just want to have it in your back pocket in case you need it? Well, I think, you know, a lot of creative people are good with creative, doing creative work and, you know, but, at a certain point, you need some leadership skill sets and, you yeah. know, learning, having an MBA. It's, it's very expensive therapy right now. It's what I'm like, how's it going? Like, it's a lot of like, you know, learning about yourself, what your leadership skill sets are. And yeah, so like, right, it's just my first year. I have another, hopefully another year left. I was going to finish all my modules this year, but because of COVID. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of self-discovery right now. And is it a lot of people that finish the MBA don't continue their current job, you know, they right. find a, a higher calling. So That's yeah. Impressive. Yeah. But it, it is, it is hard. I'm not going to lie. Like you need, you know, you need to do some accounting. That's like law, like a law exam and you have to write pages of stuff. So yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah and top. Yeah. I No, I was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always the last minute kind of person. So it's like, I have a paper due like in a week, 30 pages oh, <laughs> every night. Like, yeah, you know, I like can't the. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even imagine. So when do you, when do you have it? When do you complete it? Um, I have, so this year I was supposed to finish all my modules. So there was one in Asia in March and one in Berlin and one in uh, New York and Berkeley. But because of COVID, we, we couldn't travel. So next year I'm hoping to finish all the modules and then I have to defend my thesis. What's your thesis? I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, that's like so like a year and a half away. I'm like, I'll, oh. I'll just think about okay. it. As in, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so when changing. you go to these places, what do you, what do you do when you go to all these places? Like to do your modules? Well, um, it's like a 9 a.m. start. It's like a two week intensive. So it's like a two week, very intensive packed course. And you meet all your friends from all around the world. So we have a lot of Brazilians. We have an Ecuadorian. We have someone from Lithuania, from Finland, uh, South and yeah, uh, Colombia. A couple of people from Colombia, even from South Africa. And wow. uh, yeah, so you know, we just hang out and we chat about stuff. We get to know each other, and everyone's from different industries. There's a lady from Brazil who works in um, fragrance industry. 
Really? So she makes fragrances for like, you know, your PNGs and your, 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 uh, oh, wow. uh, Unilever. So it's super interesting. Yeah. But it's very intense. It's like 9am to like 6pm. And then you kind of have to study a little bit because you might have an exam the next day. And I, I can't do the club scene in Berlin, but the South Americans, man, they can, they can go. <laughs> <laughs> they are like, yeah. Like partying to like I don't know four or five a.m. and then oh. going to class the next day. I, I'm, I'm too old for this. Nah, I think I was able. I was able to pull that off when I was twenty two, twenty three. Mm-hmm. I could pull. I could go out and party till four and be at work at six a.m. or something before I started shooting full time, and I had right. some like mindless job that wasn't a big deal. But yeah, there's no way. That's impressive yeah. if you can do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm always like, wait, they, they went out last time. I'm always like FOMO as well. Like, where did they go? Like, why did they call us? <laughs> like, we're in bed. <laughs> we're in bed at like 10 o'clock. Also, there's a jet lag as well. So when you get there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's trying to get over the jet lag, trying to get back in the mindset of studying and sitting in the classroom. It's very interactive. It's not, you know, you're learning so many new things. So it's still like a lot. Yeah. Can you sleep on a plane like when you're going like on a red eye or if you're going overseas or something like that? Only if it's a business class flight for work. Yeah. Otherwise yeah. on coach is, I'm glad I'm small. So I can kind of, yeah. Well, still, that part's you know, good. Yeah. But the flight is only like six, so it's six hours, you know, so it's not a lot of time to like settle down, you know, yeah. and take a nap. Yeah. No, I, I can't. So I try to go like a bit, a couple of days earlier just to get over the jet lag. Yeah. That's smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can sleep. I literally can sleep on a plane if I don't have to sleep. So if it's one of those, so if it's not a red eye or something, if I'm just flying say to LA, I can fall asleep almost immediately. But if it's a red eye or I'm flying, like I flew to um, uh, Budapest and I knew I need to sleep. If I know I, have, I need to sleep, I cannot sleep. I will not fall asleep. I'll stay awake the whole entire time until maybe the last hour and then I'll, like, fall asleep. <laughs> then I'll fall asleep. Yeah, I, yeah that's, that's true too. I think in your mind, you're kind of like, you have to sleep. You, ha- you kind of stress yourself out to yeah. sleep, right? Pressure yourself like if to I have sleep. a 4 a.m. flight or a 6 a.m. flight and I have to get up at 4 a.m. or something, I will go to bed at 9, 9.30 and I will literally lay in bed and stay awake till about midnight. And then finally, I think I go to sleep. It's <laughs> <laughs> <This is> terrible. <laughs> so how'd you get in? So how'd you end up in advertising? I mean, so you, you go to school, I'm assuming you graduate with your degree and then mm-hmm. what happens after that? So I did my last year in Australia. So when I came back, um, I just went on a lot of interviews. I did three interviews a day from like wow. this tiny toy shop. Like, I was so dressed up. The guy was like, uh, yeah, I don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. My mom was like, you're not, you're not doing, you know, you should go for more interviews. I'm like, mom, I'm going for three a day. Like yeah, I can't. Three days a lot. Yeah. That's, that's when her tiger mom comes out. <laughs> um, and how did I get my, so I got an interview at Saatchi and Saatchi in Malaysia. Um, they couldn't hire me for some reason, but the head of design really liked my work and sent my book out to like 10 other people. Oh, so wow, I kept getting, nice. yeah, she was so nice. Her name is Gigi. I think she's like a, she heads up TBWA in Asia now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, she's so nice. Um, and so yeah, I started getting a lot of calls and finally BBDO called me, um, my boss, Ronald. And oh no, I got a job at Densu. 
yeah, I got a job at Dentsu and um, I wanted to be a writer, but of course my book was a design a design book and they gave me like a hybrid book, like copywriter and design. They hired me and then I got, yeah, and then I got calls from other agencies. Um, so I left to join BBDO, but I was like crying as I left. Really? This <laughs> so was my first job for a couple of months, you know, and like I, everyone's so kind. Um, I was saying, yeah. are you crying because you were going to miss the people? Or are you crying because you only stayed at the job for a couple of months? And you're thinking, That's no, I'm, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss people. And I think in Malaysia, you kind of develop such a close friendship with people you work with. It's very different in New York. You're like a family because it's a, a smaller, you know, agency. You're very close right. knit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then I joined BBDO Malaysia. Um, at that time, Ronald Ng, he's now, he's now a CCO at, where is he? Isobar, yeah. He was building his own team and he hired everyone was new. He knew everybody, but he hired, you know, everyone from his old agency to build a new agency. And yeah, he hired me and everyone was so kind and so nice. So we all worked together as a dream team. Yeah, it was one of them. very good, very good um, start. Very good foundation. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times you can get in and not be so great, especially if you're the new kid in the yeah. group. Yeah. So when did, at what point did you end up moving? Cause you were in, what I saw in Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. were in Singapore at that point. Um, yeah. So I won uh, the young creative in Malaysia. So they have an advertising award show called the Kanchels where they award like the first year, you know, uh, someone who has been in industry for the, for the first, for their first year, like a young creative award. So I won that. Um, is that something you enter yourself or is the agency put you up for that? Or how's that? The agency, yeah. So they submit all the awards, you know, they put your names so the other awards you worked on. And I was, I was just so l lucky that I was on all the work because I was the youngest and I did everybody's, you know, grunt work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like the, take, bringing them coffee. No, no, no. But, you know, I just helped out on everything. So, and they just put, they were so kind. They put my name on the work um but i worked my, my ass off just yeah well i'm I, sure yeah, yeah yeah uh so yeah and i got the young creative award um bbdo also has a very close-knit uh, community around the world so we had like we have uh they call it workouts it's like a brainstorming workshop with people from other countries so like in thailand or singapore or vietnam um, we all get together for like a very intense brainstorming session. That's when I met a lot of other creators from around Asia. Um, that's when I was going to leave to, I was going to move to JWT Singapore when my boss was like, no, we don't want to lose you. So just pick wherever you want to go in Asia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Was, he was, again, he was so kind. I think they kind of valued what I was doing at BBDO. <laughs> Um, I wanted to go to Thailand because that's when that's where they were doing really really good work with the legendary um, ECD uh, Suti, but you probably need to speak Thai, and yeah. you know there's another thing to learn. Yeah, so and so I didn't pick Thailand. Um, same with Philippines as well. You probably have to learn Tagalog, so I, I was like probably not Philippines. Uh, so I picked uh, Singapore, which is the closest to Malaysia. It's like a forty minute flight. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's pretty good. 40 minutes yeah. is too far to move. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, they speak English. It's Malaysia. Singapore is part of Malaysia, like, back in the day. So it's pretty huh. much the same. Yeah. Easy transition. Okay. So mm -hmm. you're talking about different languages. What is, what's, what's your first language? 
English, Malaysian English, Malaysian English. English. <laughs> yeah, they have they have Spanglish, right? We have Manglish. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, it probably makes it easy. I guess we can go just about anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, but you know the pronunciation and all is different. And uh, Malaysia was a Commonwealth country, so we speak British English. Okay. So when I moved to New York, it was yeah, I had to change some some of my terms. Yeah. Yeah, instead so of saying you're going yeah. to the water closet, you know, I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bathroom, the toilet, yeah. Yeah. The loo, we would say, I want to go to the loo. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, The loo, yeah. Taking out the rubbish. Yeah, yeah. I was like, where's the rubbish bin? And then my, yeah. my, <laughs> my, my roommate was like, oh, trash can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you have a garden? Because uh, my dad has friends in, um, they live just out about three hours outside of London and they always go, I'm going to go work out in the garden. And they're just going into their backyard. So it took me and then I was like, garden, does everybody here have a garden? And I looked and I was over there with them and I looked, Oh, they have this, their backyard. Okay. I get it. Yeah, Your head is like lush and floral. And like, oh yeah. There's is much nicer. Yeah. Yeah. You look at all that and go, Oh, okay. But now we moved into a house three years ago where we, the people before us had all these kinds of, they have a garden in the back of all these flowers and my wife loved it. It's part of the reason we bought the house because she loved all that. And I looked down, I was like, if, if I was single, that would all get cut down. It would turn into grass. Yeah. But she loves it. She goes out there and she's putting out mulch and playing with the flowers and all that kind of stuff. But it's a commitment, all right. Oh yeah. I yeah, yeah. and we have I hate cutting hedges and I have to cut the hedges and yeah, I'm wasn't thrilled Why? about it. But it makes her happy. So Yeah. So how long were you in Singapore before you uh, moved to New York? Just a couple of years. Um, so I was, I was very fortunate when I moved to Singapore. Uh, my then boss, Danny Searle, he was the CCO of Singapore. He was looking for a creative partner. And I became his creative partner, even though, you know, our level is he's like here, I'm like here. Right. Um, but I, I, yeah, it was so, everyone again, was so kind they never made me feel like I wasn't part of the team and you know every meeting that my boss was in they brought me in and they really helped me like it was a really really good team like the account people the planning the planning uh, uh, the strategy planning department they were all like you know oh Pebbles Danny's credit partner of course she should be in here and I learned picked up really quickly and yeah just just was like jumping in a deep end well that's good yeah yeah, so then um, they, he brought you over to New Did he bring you to New York or did he just say? No, no. Yeah, yeah um, and I was, because he was running a lot of regional work for like uh, like Gillette and also um, Unilever stuff. So I was by default doing that with him. So like I was doing Gillette for Asia and my boss in New York was looking to hire a global team. So he met me and Danny at a workout in Tokyo. And he was like, okay, I want Pebble in my team. So, and I was the first, I was the first female creative to present work in Asia for Gillette. Really? Yeah, it was so funny. The account team was like, Pebble, today's a historic day. You're the first woman creative to present work. That's like, impressive. Oh. Yeah. Was it, <laughs> Just one, was that intense? Like when you went and did, did you, so did you know that ahead of time? Uh, or did they tell now. you after you did it that you were the first woman to do it? I think maybe after, but you know, I, again, my, my boss, Danny, he, he just puts everyone at ease. Yeah. I don't get like 
the jitters because I just see he he probably he he presents first and then it's my turn and right. he's Australian he everything is like no worries you know they're so like <laughs> which is actually thank goodness he wasn't like a tense boss or anything yeah um so yeah it was it was fine like I didn't know and I was like, oh great maybe you know this will pave the way for more female creatives oh yeah that's very cool yeah I yeah. didn't know if the Gillette people would be like whoa what's this woman doing presenting to us or if it was if it all just seemed like any other presentation that you've done so just very cool so at what point do you end up so that's he says he wants pebble so now you move to new york how long mm -hmm. ago was that 10 years ago 10 years yeah so i worked in the u.s office more than i worked in asia it's four wow. years in malaysia two years in singapore and, and then 10 years in, in new york so how did you how did your title change as you started off going up? Um, in Malaysia, I was graphic designer, and then I became an art director. Then when I moved to Singapore, I was still an art director. It was weird because uh, Danny did ask if I wanted a title change, but at that time, I was like, doesn't matter to me. Like titles, you know, I just want to do the work. Right. And then I moved to New York as a, I think a senior art director. Yeah. But in hindsight, I should have gotten a better, I should have gotten a title before I left because right. I didn't realize titles matter here so much. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. But that was fine. Like, so I'd be senior art director and then ACD and then a creative director six years ago. Yeah, because at that time I was running um, Johnson's Baby with my former boss in Asia, Danny, because oh, it was a global wow. account. Yeah, so he yeah. needed, yeah, just serendipity. Um, yeah. Yeah, I wanted you to tell, talk about that because I saw that you had the Johnson's Baby, the global brand relaunch thing. How did how was all that work? Because that's a pretty big deal, I would think. Or global. Yeah. Relaunch. So I was asked to go on a workout again in London when we had people all around the globe coming in to you know rethink this Johnson's um, rebrand, and just so happened one of the other creators couldn't make it because she just had a baby and. They invited me to go and just so happened Danny was also doing the workout and I I think I impressed the clients and people there and they were like oh we there's this new job opening like do you want it I'm like sure and yeah we had a great team you know again it was a lean team we all worked so well together the plan the planner the account director the account lead and Danny yeah it was like six of us and we, we just it was like flying, you know, building a plane and flying it at the same time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was good. Put all that together. I think six months, right? In, yeah. I can't remember. It's wow. been so long. Yeah. I think six months and we had to, we, sh we shot uh, the commercial in, in uh, Vancouver. Yeah. That's impressive. Six yeah. months. Was there a lot yeah. of back and forth with Johnson? Um, yeah. With the brand and all that? Because I could see, I mean, my wife, uh, runs a company um well she's the CEO, COO of her company and they were rebranding and they were just they're small and it was a nightmare with the agency they worked with um just trying to get it right but it was really a very small agency who didn't really do a lot of the work they needed to do so I was just wondering when it's on a bigger scale like with you guys how much back and forth is that do you guys really get into it do you pretty much know I mean, is it maybe the second, third time you present, like, here's our ideas. They go, yeah, that's it. This is wonderful kind of a thing. Or does it take more than that? Or is it faster than that? 
I think more than that, and you have to present it, you know, globally. So it was like for seven different markets. So you have to present it to the Brazilian clients, to the Indian clients. Yeah, so it's like a a conference call with all the clients, every all the stakeholders from all the different countries on the phone, and you present oh, wow. it to everybody. Yeah, so you have to get like a sign off from each region. Okay. See, I would just yeah. imagine it was like one thing. There was one group of people there who were approving it all for the whole world. I didn't know it was multiple things like that. Yeah, multiple. And because, you know, when you have a good idea that every, every region can buy into it, that, that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, it's like a universal truth, right? Um, so, that was what they were benchmarking the work against who handles making sure that the translation is proper and you don't end up saying something about the baby brand that makes it sound like oh. it's going to kill your baby <laughs> yeah, i've heard of like that. car companies coming up with names of cars and then you go down into brazil or someplace and go yeah that means this is a piece of crap i'm not buying yeah. that car <laughs> well that's why we have all the clients from different countries so they would like, we would shoot the film and then the voiceover would be transcreated. It's not translated, it's transcreated. So okay. it's not a direct, yeah, it's transcreated to their own markets. So they can tweak it however they need to tweak yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically keep the overall feel and context, but just tweak it to how it needs to be for every country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's gotta be a lot of pressure. Yeah. I, think. Mm -hmm. I mean, also filming all the different babies, the ethnicity and making sure they, you know, they look like the baby that's from the country that you're going to air your, your ad in. Yeah. God. Like I looked at 200 babies for casting. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Tell me about being on set for that because how many days did that take? How psychotic was it with all the babies? Cause I've been on a few sets where we've had, you know, we have the main kid, then we have the backup kids or whatever. Yes. And that's, I'm doing like, literally two kids in a day with the backup. So I can't even imagine. So I want to hear about that part of the shoot. I think we had 14 babies. So it was seven, so seven different countries. So a back, like a real, the main baby and a backup baby. And because they're infants, they can only work for 20 minutes at a time because of oh. the labor law. Yeah. So, and we, we were, re we had this slow motion break that it's like, I think we're shooting 500 frames per second. Good God. So, yeah, and we were trying to make the baby react to the bath. It was a baby in the bath. And, it, and you could hear, and because it's 500 frames per second, you have to reload quite often. You yeah. know? Um, and we could hear, like, the, the, I think it's the first AD, like, counting down, like, how much time you have left on the, on your, the digital, whatever, file. Yeah. yeah. And we were trying to make the baby smile so we could hear it in 10. Nine. It was like watching a horse race. <laughs> like 10, oh. 9, eight. and it was like, she's going to smile. Rolling, rolling, and oh. then we're out. <laughs> yeah, and we have like a nurse on set, like a baby nurse teaching the mom, you know, bathe the baby, making sure when you touch the baby's feet, it will like, you know, spread out and make, how to make the baby smile. Uh, it was the babies were good because it was so young, they didn't know what was happening, but yeah. they were they, they wouldn't look in the camera because they were looking everywhere, but you wanted to look down the barrel of the camera, right? Yeah, but that was so, tough. Yeah, the director was like, oh my God, no, it was so hard in my life. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, because I've had them when, I've never had like, ba well, I've had baby babies, but it wasn't important for them to look into the lens when I was shooting. 
And I've had older ones where you have a kid wrangler there and they're, and the kid's looking at the kid wrangler and you're like, okay, I need you to get down. But then she's got to get right down on top of me. And all I'm thinking is, okay, this is a little too tight yeah. and close for me. So I can't even imagine having all those little, little babies. Were they, did you plan it around their nap times and that kind of thing, nap schedules? Cause I know that and feeding, cause I know that can be horrible. Yeah. Yeah, they probably like I was. Yeah, they probably did like go schedule going, you know, and like swap out the babies, and then we had to shoot, uh, stills that swell in the other in another tent, so they would like swap out the babies. Like I think it was like today we did stills, and the next day and like yeah, taking turns. Yeah. Were you matching? Were you matching lighting between the stills and the motion, so it was all uh, the same feel, or did was it totally different looks? Totally different looks. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Yeah. That's not oh, so bad. Yeah, totally different, totally different photographer. Yeah, totally different look and feel because there's so many assets we needed to shoot. Right. Yeah. Okay. And because the, the main film was a slow motion capture, so that wouldn't translate in yeah. still. Yeah. I see that. And yeah, and they still needed to, you know, work harder. We saw the mom, we saw, you know, the product and yeah. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Talking about, you said it was not the same photographer or, or director. How often are you using the same photographer or director to do both motion and still? Is that happening a lot? Or is it one of those where you hire the still photographer and then if you need motion, either you hired somebody totally different or you have the photographer hire an AD or, you know, or um, a DP, I mean, or something like that? Um, I think I've, I'm trying to think. Mostly it's been different because it's just too much for the director to do yeah. both. Yeah, and I'm trying to think. I feel like I had one shoot that we did both, but I can't recall now. Yeah, I think it's just getting everyone to respect each other's spaces, right? And if you want the same lighting and set. Um, I really can't remember. I'm pretty sure we had someone do both. I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah. I can see it being tough though. Because I've had mm. somewhere I've had to, where I shoot right after the motion guys shoot. I come in and just shoot my stuff and i've had mm -hmm. others where we literally set the my lighting up to match the motion guys lighting and so as soon as the actors finished over there while motion's changing or setting up for their next one or shooting a different group of people they come over and we shoot them over on our side so everything the stills all match the video portion yeah. all that kind of stuff and then occasionally i've had some where i do both the still and the motion but it's usually on smaller lower budget shoots where they don't want to have to pay for all that yeah. stuff so i can see yeah. that yeah yeah i think i feel like i had one shoot that was a photographer uh, the same same photographer and director but oftentimes you would ask you know the photographer if you can shoot a uh, video too because usually that would be for like more like digital assets not like a tv right. commercial yeah so i think now now more and more we would need we would need to do that you know like photography and then digital capture for videos for your online um, social assets right yeah yeah it's have become have, a huge thing for you guys like the social part of it are you shooting a lot of like you know five second 15 second stuff mm -hmm. for social yeah i think you know every brief we get we have to make sure that we can use like the for the first five seconds or the six seconds, depending on what the media buy is. Yeah. Right. But also the clients I work on are, are blue chip clients. So they have their own digital agency. So usually oh, we'll have true. a separate, separate shoot for like the digital agency will handle that. So right. like 
like for Johnson's baby, Vayner Media was our digital was their digital agency. So they might have done, I think they did their own thing. Like they had to do like a longer format, like how to bathe a baby sort of situation where they teach you step by step. So they okay. would shoot that, yeah. So we would do the bigger pieces, the you know. Right. So yeah. then Vayner basically they're handling the social media aspect of it. And then you guys were mm -hmm. handling like the bigger, like more of the TV commercial kind. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And you, they were just, they would send stuff for us to oversee to make sure, you know, the, it kind of looks good and it's still in the same, same and branding vein. and all yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing worse. I think than having a company and you've seen like multiple things and the branding just doesn't gel as you can tell it's done by different agencies and they didn't talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. But I think now you don't really need matching luggage because there's so, you know, there's so many different media spaces. As long as your message is singular, it can look different because sometimes just too much makes it's like it's fatigue, you know, you don't want to keep yeah, seeing the see same that. thing. Yeah. So I think we're all still trying to figure out how to toggle between what should look the same versus what should be different. And yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, especially with the way mm -hmm. everybody's getting bombarded with everything now. Speaking yeah. of that, do you have any idea how when I talk about the fact that I hate those Canon lens coffee mugs to my assistant, <laughs> that I end up getting an ad for it on my phone that night without ever searching for it any place? Do you have any idea how that happens? Is it my phone listening to me or are they really okay? Because I saw some guy go, well, your phone's not listening to you. It's just looking at your algorithms. I'm like, okay, I've never looked up a coffee mug. Definitely never looked up a Canon lens coffee mug. And I still get an ad for it the next day. So, listening to you because your microphone is on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's well, did, did, did you watch, um, what was it called, Social Dilemma? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I watched yeah. that. That was interesting. It made me want to yeah. just not do anything. <laughs> I can't. The worst thing is like if I'm at home, I have to go now either turn my Wi-Fi off or go into private mode if I want to look something up that I want to buy for my wife for a gift later because she'll get an ad for it on Instagram that night if I don't. Because I was looking up something one time and she goes, she got an ad for something that she knew she wanted. And she goes, wow, I got an ad for this. I'm like, uh, that's because I was just looking it up on right. Google the other day, trying to find if I could find one for you. That's what you told her. No, I didn't. I was like, I don't know. But then later when I gave it to her, I was like, okay, that's the reason you got that ad. Yeah. 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 No, it, even like when I'm just talking out loud to my husband, now we have two, we have two pets he gets served like the stupidest thing I talked about. I said, oh, we should get this paw cleaner for the dog. And then, yeah. and then the next day he's like, I got paw cleaner. Yeah. yeah. yeah we were yeah. talking about um, my wife was buying a lot of that high pH water at one point. Mm. And I told her, I said like two years, a year, probably a year, year and a half earlier. I said, you know, I saw online about a year ago that if you use lemon juice, it increases the pH in your water and you can just use lemon juice for the pH. That night, she had an ad on her phone for pH or lemon juice or something like that on her phone, and no, neither one of us ever looked it up. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, but that's our job, though, <laughs> to sell. Yeah, oh, I know. <laughs> I, mean, I just want confirmation this. on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not a data. I'm not a data. You know, a data scientist. Or yeah, we don't do. We just we just do the ads. We don't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't collect your data. They were just like, oh, let's just do this ad for this thing. I'm like, okay. I don't. I don't like go deep into how. You know, what right. are you listening? Yeah. But I, I do have friends who work in like. That they told me like every second of the day you are being sold, you yeah. know your attention is being sold, and it was so interesting. Yeah, I heard that was a big issue with um, was it TikTok? The whole thing with TikTok and their algorithms, and uh, it's basically mm-hmm. the social distancing kind of deal. They were talking about TikTok doing it, and that's why they were trying to sell it to U.S. companies because they have to report everything back to China on top of that, and they collect mm-hmm. everything about you, but. I don't, know, I don't know how you're going to use the fact that I stop and look at longer at the shot. You know, the TikTok of my daughter is longer than I look at the TikTok of some. Uh, my wife sends me ones of uh, an astrologer, <laughs> some astrologist oh. who's been predicting every single thing that's happened in the election down to like, I mean, every bit of it. She has predicted ahead of time. Yeah, it's a trip. She looks like what a stepper. Um, I don't know. I'll find it. Just send it to me. Just send it to me. I'll find it. I'll send it to you. Yeah, I'll find out who she is. But she's predicted all of it. She's like, I see Biden and Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris has a huge spike here, and Biden has a spike here, which means they're going to lose. They're going to win the election, but it's going to drag out for a month or two because Trump's not going to concede. And this was all like two weeks before the election, or something like that. And then everything she's predicted after that, she said something about on Halloween or the day before Halloween, there was going to be some big disturbance in the world. And there was, she could see like an earthquake or something. And I think somewhere there was a tsunami like that day or something happened. So it was, it's kind of freaky. It's the new Nostradamus. Yeah. Yeah. But she looks like a stripper. (laughs) So, but yeah, I'll get it. I'll send it to you. You should have her on your podcast. I should. I need to look her up and see if she wants to do it. That would be interesting to have her on here and talk about that for sure. Yeah. Okay. I saw this um, Snickers ad that you did a while ago. It's all this hair. Okay. Where did the idea for the hair come from? Like have this dude have like, you know, 14 feet of hair. And then who decided it needed to be a guy as opposed to a woman? Those are the two things that came to my head. It's like, first of all, that's the longest hair I've ever seen. Who came up with that? And then next, I love the fact that it was a guy who decided that this should be a guy and not some woman. This was done like... Because it's been a while. That's an old ad. Yeah, 15, 16 years ago. Uh, Can't remember who exactly. Probably not not me. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we were... Because after work, we would go to like... uh, To have supper in like... um, like a hawker center, you know, and brainstorm for ideas. Uh, so it's probably one of the, the creative directors that came up with it. Um, at that time, Snickers was marketed to, to like active men, you know, it was right. like more skater before the, you're not, you, if you're hungry, when you're hungry, it's, it's more, it's like Snickers is like a power, power bar. It gives you right. energy. So it's more like, yeah, like active, like, yeah, for people like skating or the younger, younger group, you know, so that that's why it was never about a woman. Okay. But now we would be probably rethink it, you know. Some of the well, stuff that I've done, yeah. Some of the stuff I've done, like, oh man, I can't believe it. Did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, wow. not PC. That's interesting. Yeah. 
And yeah. if we literally, if we had had phones like we do now 20 years ago, I would say that you guys heard my father and ripped off the whole Snickers ad from him because my wife, when she had not eaten, she would get very moody. And my dad would be like, you need to keep a Snickers in your pocket and feed her when she gets angry like that. Cause when she, she'll, that'll feed her and she'll calm down. And she literally would, she would eat and calm down. And he was constantly saying, you got Snickers in your pocket? You need a Snickers in your pocket. <laughs> and then I saw that ad and I was like, that's oh my what my God. dad said 20 years ago or whenever it was. And I was like, and so I sent him the ad immediately. Uh -huh. like, Look, they took your idea. <laughs> Was he amused? Was he like? Oh yeah, he loved it. He thought it was great. Now my daughter, years ago, my youngest, she was in kindergarten, and they had to come up with an um, an invention, you know, mm -hmm. kindergarten or first grade, and they had to come up with some invention. And her invention was to have drones deliver your packages to your door. And then when Amazon announced that they were going to have drones delivering packages, she got mad. <laughs> They stole my idea. Yeah, she was little and she got mad. She's like, they took my idea. I was like, well, to be fair, you never actually moved on it. So Yeah. You know, well, now she knows. She yeah, should move on it. It was quickly. a good idea. She needs to move on stuff from now on. Yeah. What are your duties as VP creative? What's the difference between creative director, VP creative director, first of all? I think you get a $70 gym membership. Oh, cool. <laughs> Well, that's totally worth but it. Now we, don't, we don't need that now <laughs> for COVID. It's like we're not going to the gym. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, I think it's just, just a dinner time. Yeah. To be honest. I was saying, is it just like an extra thing on your title or do you actually get extra little bonus money or something? No, just again, just, the, just your gym membership. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, what else do we get? I think that's it that I can remember. Yeah, I think different places have different yeah like you, you know, ever walk around the creative directors and if they say something i'm the vp you know that was, <laughs> <laughs> i'm doing that no so people who don't know tell them a little bit about what's the responsibility of being a creative director just in general um you have your own teams you know and you you get you get briefed and then you brief your teams and you try to make their work better so elevate their work and make, still make it feel like it's their work. Right. Yeah, just, yeah, it's just more like, and also talking to the clients, presenting work to the clients. So it's like you had to manage up and down. So okay. that's probably, yeah. How much control do you have over, say, the artwork that's presented to the client or the photographers or directors that are presented to the client as CD? Is that ultimately your call? Do you take all the info from your art directors and producers and then make the decision on what are the final three or whoever you're going to present? Is, is that your call on that? Yeah, it depends on the um, accounts. So Emilio is working on a hybrid uh, project management style. So I don't own like Macy's, I don't own the Macy's account. So okay. when I did work on Johnson's, it was my call. And then we would present it to Danny, which is my CCO. You would agree or disagree, but usually he'll agree because, you know, he doesn't have time to look through. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now I'm working on some Macy's work and we would, we would the, the producer would send us the list of directors or our art buyer would send us a list of photographers and we would go through all their books or their reels and pick the top five or top three. And then we discuss in a group with like the junior creatives, like, the creative director and we have senior creative directors as well we discuss who we think best fits the brief 
Okay. And from, we would we would then talk to the directors or photographers to brief them, and get their treatment back before we decide who has the best uh, treatment, and we proceed from there. And also, you know, do you guys do a treatment on everything? Like every shoot that's coming up, do you have a treatment? Do you require a yeah. treatment? Ask for one. Yeah, for film, for film we do. Uh, photography, not so much. Uh, probably the, the photographer would probably give us some idea of what how he wants to shoot it. We'll brief the photographer. Yeah. Right. But I don't think we triple bit photography. I'm trying to recall. Um, yeah, we speak to a couple, a few of them, and see you know what what they come back with. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, yeah, we don't get so much of a treatment treatment. We would just talk to them. Yeah, but I think okay. it's been, yeah, it's been a while since I shot any uh, stills, so. Yeah. So when you present, say, your directors do, is to the client, do you present, like, here's the one we want to go with? Yeah. And do you guys like them? And then how often does the client go, eh, no, that's not what I want? Does the recommend? Uh, no, I think it ultimately comes down to money, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, if it's you know too expensive, and then we would try try to negotiate for the fee, and if not, then we would you know go down the list. But we have like this is the recommended one, and this is the backup. Right. So we always have like a backup. Yeah, but wh whichever three that we pick, it's the three that we'd be okay going with. You know, right. you would never pick uh someone that you wouldn't you wouldn't be comfortable working with. Yeah, yeah. and you know lately I just did um a talk in Lithuania, the digital talk, and it talked about diversity and inclusion. Uh, so we're trying hard to put some diversity in our, in our, in our director's search and photographer search. Um, I How haven't- How is that? Is that difficult? I mean, is, I mean, are you looking at a sea of white dudes and then like occasionally you see a woman or a person of color or something like that? Or is it a um, more, or is there a bigger pool you just don't hear as much about it? Well, because we get the list from, from our art buyers and our, our producers, I honestly, I, I, I do it blind because sometimes the names are androgynous names, right. you know, could be like Renee, R-E-N-E, right? It could yeah. be male or female. I, I really look at the book and the work, but unfortunately, most of the work and the book is from male makers, right? Because right. they have the breadth and depth and experience. Um, yeah, so try to, I guess we have to request for it. We should request for it, but yes, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. I, you know, you want to pick the best work, the best person for the job, but at the same time, you want to be cognizant of how you can help elevate more diversity in the industry. Yeah, yeah. but I always like to pick the underdog. Um, depends on the stakes, how high the stakes are, so... And it's really sad to say I'm not shot with a, any female photographer or film director. Oh, wow. Ever. Yeah. But ever. I have like female editors. Yeah, ever. My 16 years. Yeah, this is what I said in my, in my talk as well in, for the Lithuanian uh, Digital Conference. So, yeah. Have you ever had somebody that didn't have a ton of experience, but you thought they'd be really good and you pushed them and ended up getting them and it worked out well? Yeah. 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 Um, quite, yeah, quite a number of them. I always, like I said, I always try to pick the underdog, especially if it's something like, you know, super simple and easy and you know they can do, they just need a break. Cause I right. got that break. 
Well, I think I that's impressive because I think a lot of people aren't willing to take that chance on anything, no matter how small yeah. it is. I think they're so yeah. afraid that they're going to screw up and get fired for the one time they went outside the box or whatever. That, you know, when you do that, I think that's an impressive thing to yeah. do. And it's good, especially for, you know, somebody who hasn't had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Yeah. But selling it, you know, selling it upwards will be harder, right? Oh yeah. You can you can go to bat for one this person. And yeah, depending on whether the clients or your bosses are comfortable with it. Yeah. Uh, but again, I got that same opportunity. So um I want to give that opportunity to someone else. Yeah, I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Tell me about one of your favorite shoots that you've ever done whether it was location wise or just the shoot itself was fun to work on something like that uh went to south africa for my dove uh shoot dove ice cream that was really fun yeah um my first time in south africa and you know it had a great film director anders hallberg from be real and everyone was because yeah it was really fun it was a fun commercial to shoot as well um it's like it's like um you, you stitch a lot of scenes together so you kind of see it like an infinity zooming through oh that's cool yeah yeah and uh and i wanted all these little easter eggs and they accommodated each and every easter egg really? i wanted to put in yeah but we never did anything with it we were gonna like oh we're gonna make it interactive and then you know if you scroll through you'll be able to find this little little thing that says you know summer fun all year long so we had like a t-shirt made that said summer and then we had balloons that said fun and yeah yeah it was it was it was so yeah it was it was really interesting to be in a different country in south africa for the first time africa for, no i've been, I've been to egypt it's not really part, it's part of africa but my first you know real, yeah yeah and i saw some penguins the client wanted to go see penguins so we went to see penguins in like in a while oh that's cool yeah, yeah. i want a penguin as a pet <laughs> i want you can't live in north carolina yeah i know but I, I want one that i want one that um so when you ring the doorbell he can walk up and hit a button and the door opens and the penguin's just standing there like a little butler <laughs> that's cute and then just turns around and walks sign back sign your packages yeah exactly yeah you just text on the packages or signs yeah. it or whatever i've all i wanted that for probably 40 years 30 years <laughs> forever i don't know why i heard years and you i heard like back in i don't know late 70s or something that my cousin had a penguin was the rumor that he had a pet penguin he didn't but it was, i'm pretty sure he didn't but that it's believable though yeah, well, he was at the time he was in. Um, he was he's the cowboy from the Village People, the original. No. Yeah, yeah. So they were making a lot of money in touring at the time, and the rumor was, "Oh, he has a pet penguin." <laughs> what? Yeah. So, Crazy. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, he lives probably not too far from you. He lives in Manhattan. He lives um, down the um, East Village, at Second and somewhere down there yeah did you see the snl yes i did <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh, that's yeah funny. and i don't understand because trump's coming out to play in macho man and ymca and if you listen to if you really listen to the lyrics of either one of those songs you're like okay this is not hitting where your bass would if they really understood these songs they would not be happy with you but 
whatever. You don't even have, you just watch the video and you like, you just yeah. see, you know, yeah. Well, the, just, the, the lyrics, part of the lyrics from Macho Man are body, body, want to feel my body, want to touch my body. <laughs> 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 and then it goes into Macho, Macho Man. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, that's what you want to do. Right. Did you get to make, did you get to hang out in South Africa? Um, I think or we just had literally like, go in, what? shoot, and get out. I think go in, shoot, and get out. I think it was like one down day. It takes so long to get there, you know, almost twenty four hours. Yeah. Yeah, but it was it was shoot and get out. But we we shot in like one of the one of the scenes was in a like a beach, so we managed to go to the beach, but just for the shoot. Right. It's still nice yeah. out. It's pretty. Um. Then we shot in another like a hillside, so it was like seeing different sceneries. Yeah. So you got to see things, yeah. but. Yeah, we got to see things. Oh, yeah, I, I think we, yeah, we probably went up to, it's called Table Mountain, like the famous yeah, yeah, yeah. mountain. Yeah, probably went up. We went up there for like a couple of hours and one morning we were free. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah, but usually it's just sitting in your hotel room, you know, getting on calls, doing your presentation decks, going, yeah, casting. Yeah, it's not as glamorous as. Oh, as, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had one student before she, she was like, I asked her like why does she want to be in advertising she said because it's glamorous I'm like honey <laughs> <laughs> you don't know <laughs> yeah my wife let's see she came with me on a trip I did one of my like one of my very first location shoots it was like five days and she came for two days of it and it was basically everything was being shot in South Beach on the beach and she came and she had fun and it was cool she came down ahead of time and she she enjoyed mm -hmm. it it wasn't one of these like real tight, tough, stressful shoots. So she, when I had a shoot a couple of years later, we were going to be down in, where were we? we're going to be down in the Keys. So we were doing a day or two in South Beach. Then we we're going to go down into the Keys and shoot for a few days. She came on that shoot and she'll never come on another shoot again. <laughs> She's like, this is ridiculous. And I was like, yeah, I told you you could go hang out on the beach if you wanted to, but she likes to be on the shoot. She's very detail oriented. So she'll watch like when she first got on the shoot, she ticked off the stylist because oh, she was no. constantly, it was like her first shoot she'd really been on uh, mm -hmm. other than that other smaller one. And so she was going up and like fixing stuff. And I was like, you can't do that. The stylist and the stylist was like getting mad. So you can tell me, I'll tell the stylist. My wife is very type A. Mm -hmm. So I told this, but by the end of that day, the stylist was saying, going up to my wife going, will you watch this? I have to go down and talk to my assistant and get something ready for the next shot. Will you watch this for me? So then my wife's all of a sudden the assistant to the stylist <laughs> taking care of stuff. But it was one of those get up and be shooting, you know, around sunrise, mm -hmm. shoot all day, take a shower and go have dinner come back to bed and she was like i'm not doing this again so the next time i went down to the keys i'm like hey i'm going to go down to the keys for another shoot you want to come with me she's like nope i'm yeah. not doing it so yeah, yeah. everybody's like oh it's so glamorous you get to go to south africa or you get to go to the keys and you're like, yeah it's not as wonderful as you think mm -hmm. yeah on the way to south africa i was looking at you know all the talent like casting yeah. so the whole night i was up just looking at casting so when you land you can you have your selects yeah, and the time difference, and yeah, it's, but I'm not, it's, it's you know, we sign up for this, so there's downtimes, yeah. and there's, it's still there's a cool like, job, it's still a better yeah. job than working at the bank, mm -hmm. you know, yep, and that's working true. behind the desk, and 
Yeah. Right. Right now we're all behind the desk. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <level. laughs> yeah. Not for you because you're out shooting, but for us, I'm still not even shooting that much. I mean, I I went four and a half months without shooting anything. I shot some stuff for myself, mm-hmm. but I literally went four and a half months without doing a shoot where I got paid, which was the first time I'd gone that long without working since I was probably 15 years old. Wow. Yeah. Now it's picking up and it's, it's good. getting better, you know, a little more normal, but still not at the same level it was last year right? at this time. But do you think it's something. because the, it's, uh, the COVID restrictions are lifted a little bit, so people are okay with shooting yeah, I in think person? So. It seems like. And then even it's weird, the sets are different. Like some sets you go on and it's like major COVID restrictions. You know, mm-hmm. stay six feet apart, you know, wear your mask, you know, get temperature checked, all that kind of stuff. I had one, um, I did a behind the scenes shoot with Kamala Harris where they were shooting a video thing. And that was get rapid tested literally the night before the shoot, get your temperature checked there. Everybody has to wear a mask the entire time. And then I do some where nobody's wearing a mask. Right. Uh, well, it's Kamala Harris, so you probably. <laughs> well, yeah, with her, she didn't. We even for the portrait shoot, she didn't take her mask yeah. off. She kept the mask yeah. on because there were so many people in this small area um, yeah. for that video shoot that when I had to do my portrait, it was in the same area, and but nobody took a mask off the entire time because yeah. there were yeah. probably I don't know fifteen to twenty people in this one you know area, so it was mm-hmm. a ton of people in a little spot. Mm-hmm. But luckily, nobody's. I've had a couple of sets where people have ended up having COVID later, or we found out that they had it while they're on set, mm-hmm. but they caught it someplace else, and nobody on any of my sets has gotten it. So that's good. That yeah. part's been good. Yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm happy about that. So, with all the traveling you do, where is the best place to go on vacation? Lake Como. You know, my dad says that I've never been there. It's on my list of places to go, but yeah, I've not been there. What makes it yeah. so wonderful other than just the lake? The fact that it's in Italy. Uh, yeah. And also, I mean, we stayed in a really nice hotel. So my, my friend was getting married. So it was just a, a, a cool experience. You know, the, there was a pool on top of the, like in the lake. So it was in the lake. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and you wake up and you you see the lake from your from your room, and maybe because it was a wedding, so it was it was it was really fun. Yeah, yeah. So we had wedding wedding stuff to do for like three days, you know. So we went to an island for breakfast. We got on a boat ride. We had like a white party, you know. Just it was just filled with activities. So that's why I said Lake Como. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've heard it's great. My dad loves it. Um, I have a friend, model friend, who she got married there. And she said, even in the town, they put up a big sign going, hey, this couple is getting married. If anybody has anything to say about it, you know, let oh, us know. Really? Yeah. And but they, they literally eloped there. So there was nobody who even knew who they were. Oh. Yeah, but they got a killer video out of it, too, that she put up on her social on Instagram. I mean, the video is unbelievable. And they shot they videoed this thing from the morning until, you know, I don't know, it looked like nine, ten o'clock at night or more. Right. I mean, they wow. did it the entire day. It was I wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> I'm not so a big, I used to shoot weddings when I first started out and I'm not a big wedding fan of yeah. shooting weddings anyway. Yeah. A lot of photographers start out shooting, shooting weddings. Yeah. yeah. I, um, 
Okay, last, um, yeah, I started cheating when I was 16, but. Okay, last question for you. What's the strangest thing, most interesting thing that's ever happened to you on this, in this whole world of advertising? How I managed to get from Malaysia to New York in three steps. <laughs> Yeah. I never thought the 18 year old me, yeah, I would never thought I'm be sitting here right now in New York City talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you I know, can see so that. that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I should remind myself more of that. You know, we always, we always forget about our successes or we always try to achieve more, but we should sometimes, you know, just stay still and remember how far we've come. Yeah. That's yeah. So thank, thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being on here and doing this. I really, really appreciate it. It's, it's been very cool. I enjoyed it. Um, anybody watching, listening, like it, thumbs up it, comment on it, subscribe to it, all that kind of stuff. And we'll see you guys soon.